Always check with your physicians before making any changes to your treatment plan. It's a basically a big triage process, so we make sure we rule out COVID. So you get that swap, and if it comes back negative, then it's likely that you don't have it, but we do a two-swab test for every patient. Welcome to Living with Scanxiety, the cancer podcast with your host, Rosaria Kozar. Today I have with me Sarah Manjikian, and she's currently a junior at Simmons University, and she is studying nursing and health sciences with a minor in psychology, and currently she's in her internship, and she'll be graduating in May of next year. But she started her internship in the burn trauma and surgical unit and that was the intensive care unit at Brigham's and Women's Hospital, which is located in uh, Boston, Massachusetts in the United States. However, with COVID-19, we're all too familiar that it is just blossoming like no tomorrow. So she has currently been shifted into the COVID ICU and she is helping take care of positive patients and rule out COVID patients. Um, so welcome, Sarah, to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Rose. Well, I'm so happy you could come on, and this is fantastic. So I have a couple of questions for you about what's going on on the front lines, because you're, you're there, right? You're, you're yeah, yeah. F- Are you working overtime? So I'm, I'm per diem, so that means I only have to work a required amount of four shifts a month but I've been picking up a lot. So I've been working about 24 to 36 hours a week, which is, I mean, it's overtime for me, but that's about the equivalent of a full-time salary employee. Oh, wow. And what do you see about these salary employees? Are they working overtime? Yeah, they're working really, really hard. Um, We have about, I would say maybe 100 to 150 ICU staff nurses in the hospital at Brigham. Um, and there are a ton of influx of patients coming in. So they've been having to really work overtime, pick up a lot of extra shifts to make sure we've got them covered. And what about personal protective equipment? Uh, uh, do you have that? Is there enough? Are you running out? What, and what is it? Yeah, so our personal protective equipment, we wear just about anything and everything you could think of. We wear gowns, gloves, masks, face shields, and those N95s that we've been seeing so on and off on the news. Um, for the most part, we've undergone a lot of stress related to our PPE. Um, we only get one N95 a shift, and we're, we've been told we have to wear them repetitively in and out of different patients' rooms, so they get soiled really, really quickly, especially if we're going into the positive patients' room. So it's a little scary for us, um, knowing that we don't have enough resources to protect ourselves and to protect our family members when we come home. But we're working through it. We're getting a lot of extra resources from outside sources. People have been donating. Everyone's been really great about kind of coming together and being this really supportive community. So we're really thankful for that. That's great. And how could I support you, for example? How could somebody that's listening to this support you? Honestly, what I've found to be the most helpful thing for me and for all of my coworkers is just like making us feel appreciated. That That is to me the most important thing. I come home and I have friends and family members who say thank you. That's 
honestly, all we need to hear is that we are being appreciated for the work that we're putting into these patients and um, stepping up to the cause. I mean, there's nothing more important to me than just a thank you. I mean, money is awesome. Money is great, but it can only go so far. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I can tell you one thing. I really appreciate what you're doing. I couldn't do it. I I, I couldn't. I admit it. And I have so much appreciation for you and everyone you're working with and just globally, everyone that's working with um, the COVID-19 outbreak. So this is so thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We, We really appreciate it. And what happens if... I don't feel good. What do, what do I do? Yeah, so that's another big thing. Um, so Brigham and Women has a really, or they've come up with a really strict protocol, making sure that um, if we do feel sick or if we do have symptoms that we're getting tested right away. So one of the things that they've come um, into effect in the past two weeks has been this thing called the COVID pass. And we've had to download this app on our phone. And essentially what it is, is it's, we just log our symptoms, and if we feel a cough coming on, any sore throats, runny noses, stuff like that, um, it gets logged into this app, and it reports it to our occupational health services. So essentially, if we see these symptoms come up, they'll tell us to stop working. We'll get we'll get swabbed, um, and then if we test positive, we have to stay home. Um, but so far, like the numbers have been coming out really well. We've had about like six thousand. Brigham employees get swabbed and only around 400 have come back positive. So the numbers aren't too, too high. It's showing that our personal protective equipment is working. So, I mean, we're doing the best we can. (laughs) Absolutely. So that said, you have had some uh, coworkers get sick then. Yeah, definitely. For sure. The numbers are creeping up there, but it's not as bad as it could be for sure. So Always got to stick with the positive note. <laughs> well, speaking of which, what's the ICU bed capacity? Is that reaching capacity? Is it beyond capacity? What's going on in that front? Yeah, totally. So um, when this all started, we were we opened one ICU floor. So we only had about 30 beds. Since then, we've kind of expanded this one building. We've kind of turned into what we're calling our COVID hospital now. So one building is strictly for COVID patients and we're, we're not approaching it yet, but we're planning for the influx of about 300 ICU patients. Um, So we're opening up our PACU, our ORs, all of our unnecessary patient spaces. We're opening them up and we're getting them ready for the potential influx of about 300 patients. Okay, so what happens if you run out of ventilators? Yeah, so that's that's where we get really scary. Um, we had an online broadcast the other night over the weekend um, at the Brigham. And, you know, I mean, it's happening all over the world, all over the U.S. And it's the potential that if we have to get down to that point, we're going to have to prioritize who gets the ventilators and who doesn't, which really, really stinks because, I mean, in my perspective, I think everyone who is willing to fight should be able to have that opportunity to to live and to get that treatment. But, I mean, we're coming to that point where 
you might not be able to do that for everyone. So it's kind of getting into that like ethical standpoint of who do I treat? Who do I not treat? Um, and it, I don't know, it really, it's getting to that scary point. So when you say that, do you mean who's most likely to survive gets the ventilator? So if you have someone that's 80 and um, in poor health, or if you have a child that's young and in poor health, but you have a 20-year-old that's in good health, who do you, are you determining now how you determine that? Is that is that where you're headed or... Yeah, so to be brutally honest, like what you said is a good or it's an accurate depiction of what will be happening. So you're going to prioritize. Well, my next question is, if I have cancer as a child Mm -hmm. or my child has cancer and they get the 100.4 temperature, which is you have to bring your child into the ER, Mm -hmm. what are you doing with the children that have to go to the ER because they have that temperature. Absolutely. I mean, Brigham doesn't get a lot of pediatric patients. They're primarily going over to um, either Mass Gen or Boston Children's Hospital, but they get treated the same way um, that our adults with the Brigham would get treated. So they're going to do a full workup. They're going to get a swab, um, it's basically a big triage process. So we make sure we rule out COVID. So you get that swap. And if it comes back negative, then it's likely that you don't have it, but we do a two swab test for every patient. So your, your child will get one swab. If it comes back negative, you'll wait 24 hours and you'll do it again just to make sure that they don't have it. Um, if they do have it, um, there's a two-step process kind of. So they either... If your symptoms are really severe, like you have a lot of shortness of breath and you require oxygen treatment, they'll likely take you into the hospital and monitor you there. Um, but if they do just have a fever and a runny nose, like they'll likely tell you to stay home and document everything that you're seeing happening to you and your child. So if your fever gets worse, they're going to tell you to come in. If your child starts to have shortness of breath, they'll tell you to come in. Small things like that. Um, we try and keep people out of the hospital as long as possible um, just because of resources and staffing and all that stuff. But um, we do try and give everyone the same and equal amount of care that we can with all of our resources provided. So would, for an immune-compromised person, they would get admitted, but they would also get tested? Yes. Oh, Okay. I just wanted to make sure I understood that. And then best practices to keep yourselves and your families safe. Yeah, absolutely. Stay inside. That is like my biggest thing. Um, I keep seeing things on social media, on the news. It's beautiful out and I totally get that. Everyone wants to go outside, but it is most important that if you are going outside, you do follow the CDC guidelines. You wear a mask, you stay at least six feet away um, from any other person on the outside. Um, Washing your hands is the biggest, most important thing. If you're touching anything outside of your house, um, any surfaces that could be contaminated with um, this bacteria, make sure you're washing your hands. It's the most effective um, proven thing to keep yourself healthy. Um, Obviously, keep yourself hydrated. Um, Eat good foods. That's also really important. Keep eating your fruits and vegetables. 
keep your immune system your immune system on guard on like on that health mode um and just monitor your signs and symptoms they are so subtle and they what we see in these patients in the hospital is that they'll go from subtle to really severe really fast so if you're keeping track of your symptoms and keeping a good eye on yourself and your kids um that's the best that you can do i just want to say thank you so much i know you have to go to work and if you're listening to this, she just got called back into work. So we have to wrap <laughs> it up. <laughs> and thank you so much for everything <laughs> we do. We appreciate you so much, Sarah. I think I can speak for all the listeners out there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It means so much to just share my experience, give you guys all the help that I can. And I just hope that you all stay healthy, stay safe and stay happy. Just as a reminder, you're listening to Living with Scanxiety.